15 years before he became one of the faces of the baseballing nerdosphere. Dave Cameron was a 14-year-old defending Ken Griffey Jr.'s defense on Usenet. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. This edition of Fangraphs Audio, we sit down with Dave Cameron. Except in this particular case, we're now looking for Dave's opinions on the current iteration of the Mariners or any other sort of baseball in the current event, but on Dave himself. We start with that 14-year-old, follow Dave Cameron from his pre-sabermetric origins through his life as a high school and baseball version of Jeremy Brown, his open letter to Rafael Chavez, to his current work at USS Mariner, Fangraphs, and the Wall Street Journal. Along the way, we find out whether Dave Cameron would ever want to work in baseball, what he views as his mission with Fangraphs and his other media outlets, and whether he thinks Dayton Moore is an idiot or just Dayton Moore's decisions are idiotic. All that and more on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Joining me for a more intimate than usual pod today is uh, our full-time employee, also the owner-operator of USS Mariner, contributor to Wall Street Journal, Dave Cameron. Dave, you've been on the pod a number of times, uh, but I'm not sure ever in a solo fashion, is that right? Yeah, and the fact that you described this as an intimate conversation means that I, I might need to go. Oh, yeah. Wait, is it weird that my hand is on your knee? Because... Yeah, that, that is a little strange. Okay, I'll stop that right now. Dave, uh, the the thing that I thought might be interesting to do today, um, as is just sort of a one-on-one situation, is to maybe uh, do something not unlike uh, I did with, um, at least in print, uh, uh, electronic print, uh, on the site with a couple of... Um, Let's say the uh, the nerdospheres, uh, better known and and probably you know more interesting writers. I'm sure they're not beloved by all, but beloved <laughs> by many at least. Uh, characters like Will Leach, uh, Jonah Carey's the guy who got everything started. We did one with Jesse Spector. Uh, our own Brian Smith was involved in the process too. We had some pretty uh, interesting things come of that. Oh, also Tommy Bennett, uh, whose intellect will blow anyone away. Um, he's a pretty impressive guy. And uh, the series was just called pretty simply Why So-and-So Writes, right? So why Tommy Bennett writes, why Brian Smith writes. And uh, I think some people thought maybe it was a little self-congratulatory. For me, though, uh, the nice thing about you know, being part of Fangraphs is, um, is that uh, it's, it's almost like being able to work with people who, um, who I you know, simultaneously idolize, you know? It's sort of a, it might be a lofty comment to give, but I like baseball so much and being nerdy about it that when people do it well, you know, I want to be, uh, you know, I want to be able to talk to them and that sort of thing. And so the series certainly allows me to do that. And I'm hoping that there are uh, readers slash listeners out there who like that as well. Uh, so I wanted to go ahead and, uh, because you're on the pod a lot anyway, I thought it might make sense to incorporate that into our, um, into our recording. So, the first question, Dave, is, uh, I mean, it's pretty, it starts off pretty general. Um, I guess, but there's two things, I guess, that I'm, that I'm curious about. First of all, uh, when, why, where did it start for you? Um, and then, you know, uh, I guess, why are you still doing it, right? So maybe we could <laughs> just sort of like chart out the, uh, the course, uh, the path that you've taken. Yeah, well, I guess it started, uh, I was probably 14, I guess, and, um, Probably the first time I remember logging on to a uh, baseball news group back in the Usenet days. I, uh, I didn't. Most of my friends were not big baseball fans. My parents don't really care about sports too much. Um, my brother kind of liked sports because it would give him something to do with me, but not really. So I wasn't 
I didn't really have anyone to talk Mariner stuff with, and so I was like this nerdy Mariner fan who, you know, loved Ken Griffey Jr. and the 95 Mariners as they were making their run, and I didn't have anyone to talk to, so I signed into this Usenet news group and uh, started posting my uh, crazy thoughts, and um, actually one of the first uh, threads I ever wrote in, uh, I was rampaging against a guy named Dave Pease, who went on to work for Baseball Prospectus, because he had some defensive statistics that said that Ken Griffey Jr. is a bad defensive player, and I told him that he needed to get his eyes out of the stat book and watch a game, because that was obviously not true. Uh, and that was kind of like my introduction to baseball internet discussion, was um, yelling at the nerds with their defensive statistics, which and that was kind of my introduction to the... Uh, the world of internet baseball talking, which is kind of ironic considering where we've come on fan graphs. And so um, that was kind of where it all started. And from there, I met Derek Zumsteg and Jason Michael Barker, who posted on that site as well. And we eventually led and started a couple things and emailed, and that eventually turned into USS Mariner. And what year um, is that that, uh, that USS Mariner got to start? USS Mariner launched in 2002. Um, it was actually the follow-up to a, another site that had been called Baseball 116 that was edited by a guy named Chuck Taylor, who was a uh, former sports editor for the Seattle Times. And, and basketball player in the 1940s or 50s, I think. Yeah, and right? inventor of shoes. Right? Yeah, so yeah, all big of the shoe shoes. Guy. Yeah, uh, so anyway, he had edited our emails and published them on a site before anyone knew what a blog was, and then he took a job as an actual editor. Uh, and so we went to just self-publishing when, you know, blogs kind of became cool. So, um, 2002 is, I guess, when USS Mariner started. Uh, I wrote about minor league stuff for a site called Strike3.com, which was run by another guy from the Mariner News Group, um, and it just kind of went from there. Now, a couple things that are sort of interesting to me is the, uh, well, first of all, just the, I guess the significance of the Internet to, not only to your path, it seems like, but for a lot of people. You know, I was certainly like uh, discussing this with Will Leach and the, the significance of the Internet to him. It really seems like, uh, and this has been, of course, one of the trends just through all these conversations, the um, the presence of the Internet and, uh, you know, the degree to which it allows perhaps uh, more dem- democracy and or meritocracy in writing um, has allowed a lot of people who might otherwise not have had the means or the contacts, uh, you know, to m- make it big, so to speak, you know, or at least to, to get a, uh, a readership, has allowed them to do so. Uh, it sounds like that was pretty uh, um, important to your development as a writer. I mean, how did that how did that happen? Was it just a, a question of meeting people? Uh, yeah, I guess I got lucky in a sense. I mean, you know, like the most of the jobs that I've taken as baseball writers have come to me. I haven't pursued them. I've had people say, hey, you know, I've got a site. Do you want to write for me? Or, you know, would be interested in writing this thing for me? Or I saw something you did. And so I guess uh, in, in some sense I just have taken the opportunities that have come my way, which I know isn't really like a great blueprint for anyone who wants to follow it is waiting for an opportunity and say yes but that's that's kind of what i did so um you know i think i didn't ever really decide to pursue this as a a career or something that i thought was going to be um any kind of future it was really just something i did for fun to talk baseball with other people because my friends didn't want to talk about baseball so this was really just a hobby and uh then the hobby turned into some open doors and and i was lucky enough to walk through them yeah and the other thing that uh i think i've Maybe uh, noticed as a common theme in, in other of the, these conversations is that the baseball nerd, in this case it's you, uh, it could be other people too though, especially most of the guys who write for Fangraphs, has uh, a, a, a deep longing to discuss and get really nerdy about baseball, but doesn't have, yeah, doesn't really have uh, anyone else to bounce uh, ideas off of, right? Like maybe, uh, so for example, my dad. Uh, likes baseball, likes watching it, you know, on the weekend, you know, with a beer maybe, but that's about the extent of it. 
And I remember, you know, for me, trying to uh, engage him or just anyone on a level. It's hard to find people, especially maybe in the early days, you know, like uh, five, ten years ago. At least the early days for us, for people like you and I. <laughs> to find people with the same desire to talk uh, at that level. I mean, was that was that basically what you found? And then you were able to find that community online? Yeah, essentially. I mean, like, you know, my parents, uh, my dad was a car mechanic and, you know, my, my mom was the, worked at the part of the store. And so, you know, neither of them are big sporting people. And uh, when I started playing Little League, my mom would come to the games and bring like six books because she wasn't interested in watching me play. And, you know, even through high school, you know, my parents would rarely come to the games or when they would come to the game, they wouldn't really pay much attention. And, you know, eventually I think uh, they got sucked in a little bit by 1995 just because it was so exciting that the team made the miracle comeback. And they started going to some games because I think it was something fun to do with their son. But uh, they're not huge sports fans, and, you know, my my brother is kind of a sports fan, but not like a massive, massive sports fan, and so uh, I just didn't really have anyone else to talk to, so I, I found other, like, nerds on the internet that I could um, discuss things with, and, you know, that's kind of the power of the internet is putting people with common uh, ideas together and giving them opportunities to have conversations they wouldn't have had otherwise. Right, all from their respective mother's basements, is that right? Yes, exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah, now, you, you mentioned that uh, you're sort of introduction to uh, to writing your first, I guess you could call it post, even though blo- the word blog may not have even been a thing at the time, no. uh, was a uh, was a, a rampage, a rant against Dave Pease with regard to Ken Griffey Jr.'s defense. Obviously, you you weren't necess- you weren't a sabermetric convert at the time. How, was <laughs> that a, was that a process, or were there uh, distinct sort of epiphanies that turned you around? Where you uh, did Moneyball help convert you? What exactly? How did that process unfold? Uh, yeah, I mean, I probably converted pre-Moneyball. Um, so I would say, like, in, when I joined, I was 14. So at that point, I was, you know, I played baseball, and, you know, I would listen to uh, announcers on TV and believe everything they said, like pretty much every other kid on America. And then, uh, you know, back in, like, the old ESPN Net Sports Zone days, way back when, Rob Nyer had a column called Chin Music. Uh, that's what his column used to be called. And he wrote some stuff that I thought was wrong, but I, he wrote it in an interesting way, and um, at least made me think about why I believed the things I believed. And so I didn't necessarily like all of his stuff, but I, it, it challenged me to not just accept what the announcer said on TV and, uh, or on the radio or, you know, repeat what other people had told me. And so then, you know, I started, uh, you know, I still played the game. And so I started thinking about some of the ways that I did things and some of the ways players interacted. And I realized that I, you know, I didn't necessarily, you know, I was a catcher in, uh, in high school and I didn't call pitches based on the hitter on deck, if I thought he was really good, I wasn't calling for meatball fastballs down the middle because I was scared of the on-deck guy. I was just trying to get this hitter out. Mm. And so that caused me to, like, rethink the protection theory and just kind of went down that direction as when I played in high school of trying to figure out how these uh, cliches applied to me, and I found that most of them didn't. So then I started rejecting the the uh, announcer cliches and kind of started looking for something more. And, um, you know, Nair obviously had a pretty big influence with uh, a lot of links to his... Just, you know, the the sabermetric orthodoxy of on-base percentage and a lot of those things that I got raised up in. And, you know, it was a big process. I, I was one of those guys who didn't believe it all in defense, and I thought, you know, every team should just have nine jack custs, and I don't believe that anymore. But, you know, uh, it was definitely a big process, but uh, I think it started really with Nyer's columns. Now, um, you say that you played it. Were you, uh, were you a good baller? I, I was the uh, classic money ball player, actually. So I was Jer- Jeremy Brown, the high schooler. I am, uh, you know... Not overly fast and not, like, I don't have a whole lot of upper body strength, but I, I have pretty good contact skills and I had a really good eye. So, and I played at a really small private school. 
uh, where most of the pitchers threw 75 or 80. So we weren't, we weren't facing gas every night, but I posted like a 780 on base percentage my senior year and led the league in walks and, uh, made the all-star team. But, you know, that's kind of like being the Kansas City Royals token all-star representative. I had no professional future, that's for sure. Uh, okay. Uh, so now in terms of the, um, the sort of, your, your sort of, uh, what I'll call career path or professional development, uh, you, you went through, a, it seems like, a number of sites before settling on USSM. Uh, and you said it's been around since 2002. I'll tell you how I became conscious of it. And that was, uh, it was probably back in the year 2007, maybe slightly later, uh, when you wrote an open letter to Rafael Chavez. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah, Rafael Chavez, who was at the time the pitching coach for the um, Seattle Mariners. And it's well written, and uh, you document essentially... Felix Hernandez's uh, fastball use at the beginning of at the beginning of games is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this is something that uh, it, it sort of represented a bit of a victory uh, for for baseball nerds everywhere, as this uh, letter found its way into the hands of Rafael Chavez, and then not just that, but into the hands of Felix Hernandez. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Cool. So uh, actually, I mean, it's that, that's laying the groundwork. But could you tell me about this process? And is that something that you expected to actually happen? And <laughs> not at what, all. What was the fallout from it happening? Yeah, I mean, like the thing is, is, I wrote this back before Pitch FX. So you know, nowadays we're just used to looking it up on Brooks Baseball or on Fangraphs or whatever, and saying, oh, I wonder how hard this guy was throwing and what his pitch mix was and how it moved, and we have all these really cool graphs and data. Well, we didn't have that back then. So I was trying to figure out why this kid with a 99 mile an hour fastball kept getting rocked in the first inning of every start. So I just took it on myself to track the pitches of every uh, pitch that Felix threw for about a year and a half. And so um, you know, as a catcher in high school, I was fairly used to pitch tracking anyway and so it was something i was familiar with so i just started tracking all of felix Hernandez's pitches and it didn't take long to realize that like his first 10 or 12 pitches every game without fail were fastballs i mean it was just it was a batting practice machine down the middle and so um it didn't take a rocket science this was not in-depth analysis this was just watching tape and saying hey look i can spot a really obvious trend and uh yeah i figured if it was that obvious to me there was no way that major league coaches hadn't noticed and major league hitters hadn't noticed and uh so I just wrote this thing saying, like, look, you know, I'm no expert on baseball, but this this is dumb. And uh so, you know, someone apparently thought it was a good idea to give it to the pitching coach. They printed it, they gave it to Rafael Chavez, uh, I believe in Oakland, uh, I believe is where the fan took it to him, handed it to him. He read it and gave it to Felix. Felix read it. Uh Depending on the, you know, backstory accounts, this is either something they'd been trying to talk to him about beforehand or... um you know, or something they hadn't noticed, depending on who you talk to. And uh, Felix decided that uh, he was going to mix it up a little bit. So his next start out, he uh, started throwing breaking balls in the first inning and uh, threw a, I believe he threw a shutout uh, on a Saturday afternoon. And afterwards, I asked him about it, and he's like, well, I, the Internet says I throw too many fastballs, so I <laughs> tried to do it a little differently today. And uh, my phone started ringing off the hook, and reporters started calling, and they were they wanted quotes on why the Internet said he threw too many fastballs. Yeah, so were you watching that game then? It was actually a Saturday afternoon game that was blacked out, so it was the great Fox blackout. So I didn't, I didn't actually get to see the game, but I was following it on Game Tracker, and uh, when I saw, like, an, I think you went, like, fastball, fastball, change-up, curveball, slider, or something like that, and I was jumping up and down in my chair, because we'd actually heard, the guy, the guy who had printed out the email uh, had, e- had emailed us and said that he'd given it to Chavez, and he was like, you know, <laughs> we should pay attention to his next start. And I had heard through back channels that Felix may or may not have read the letter, so we were paying attention. Um, and uh, I was pretty excited when he actually started throwing breaking balls in the first thing. Now, you know, obviously, uh, you know, part of the um, 
I don't know if the responsibility, but the MO certainly of the sabermetric community is to uh, look with a critical eye at decisions that are being made on the field. Um, and I think that, you know, you and I both know, and, and uh, you and I both might be guilty of it sometimes, or have been guilty of it, uh, we may not always uh, give due respect to the to the players and the coaches that are in charge, right? And because they have, in certain cases, uh, I'm sure I'm sure a certain knowledge that we don't have. I wonder how th- how you have sort of changed in your approach towards dealing with the actual like members of different organizations. You know, whether you're critiquing a GM or assistant GM or you know or coaches or players, have you gotten softer in your in your criticism, or has it just become more nuanced? And, and you know, were there any sort of uh, uh, notable moments in terms of that. Um, I think one of the things that I try and do, and I, I mean, you might call this nuance, but I try and don't always succeed. But I, uh, but I take an effort to never criticize a person, but try to just criticize the decision. So I really have no issue with, say, Dayton Moore or um, really any general manager or person in baseball. I, b- I believe honestly that almost all of them are doing the best they can, and you know, for a lot of them. They have deep-rooted beliefs that are based on 30, 40 years of experience, and it's just completely unreasonable for us to expect them to change those things they've believed their entire life based on, you know, some report from some kid they've never met. So I don't, I generally try not to criticize the people themselves and just stick to the actual decision itself of like, should I trade for Unieski Betancourt? No, you shouldn't. But, you know, whether that says anything about Dayton Moore's character or intelligence, I try and stay away from that and just deal with uh, you know, was this a quality decision? Could they have done something better? Are they looking at all the information available? Um, and you know, sometimes that will naturally lead you to dis- discussions of such things as like, is Dayton Moore one of the 30 most qualified people in baseball to hold a general manager job? The answer is probably no. But I'm not trying to say Dayton Moore is a stupid person. And usually if people post on the blog, uh, or, you know, on fan graphs or wherever and start taking personal shots at someone, we, we generally try and discourage that because I don't, I don't think these people are dumb. I think they're, you know, they're running multi-million dollar companies and they're delegating massive departments and they're smart people. They might not always make what we feel is the right decision, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go after them as a person. All right, okay. Now, this brings up something to me, which is a question that I'm curious about with you and as I am with um, a lot of baseball writers or, you know, especially the the sort of um, sabermetrically oriented writers is, uh, you know, do you now or have you ever uh, have a desire to actually work in baseball, you know. I, um, and I could ask you a follow-up to that, which is, when you look around and see the see the people who are sort of, who are writing about baseball from a sabermetric perspective, do you see people sort of trying out for front offices? And can you tell the difference between someone who's doing that and someone who just writes because they identify more as a writer than maybe as a like a, a seri- than an, an analyst, a baseball analyst? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely. Um there's always that question. I mean, I've been asked this question a, a min- number of times, uh, including by m- members of major league front offices, if I, if I would be interested in working in a major league front office. And usually my answer is something along the lines of, I'm willing to listen to anything you're going to offer, but uh, it's going to take a miraculous uh, offer to get me to leave my life that I currently have, because I've got a pretty good setup right now. And um, I got married a couple years ago. My wife has family where we live. We don't live anywhere near a baseball team. The closest team is six hours away, uh, and the Braves haven't contacted me for a job. So, you know, the commute would be horrible. So unless someone wants to pay me to work from my house uh, and give me some pretty good hours that allows me to still hang out with my wife and raise children that I will eventually have and uh, not be on the road 300 days a year, then I'm 
I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for people who work in baseball and are willing to put in the hours that the game requires. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm willing to put in those hours. And I don't necessarily know that it's a right or a wrong that I'm, you know, but I'm looking forward to raising a family and I want to be around my kids when they get born. And, you know, knowing a lot of the people that I know in the game, they've missed a lot of really cool moments with their families in order to work in baseball. And I'm not totally sure that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. And do you, I mean, I'm interested in, in, in to what degree you identify as a writer or how you see yourself as a writer, because I think that, uh, you know, as a, someone who's read your work, um, you know, I, I, I can't necessarily speak to it having improved because I, you know, I haven't been reading <laughs> it for that long, especially not since 2002. Uh, you know, but I do know that I have been rather impressed with your ability to produce content um, in almost no time at all and, like, have not just, like, not just producing cohesive thoughts, but also to have kind of a pretty original and nuanced angle uh, each time you do it. I'm wondering, have you sort of seen yourself grow as a writer, and do you have, a, I guess, a technique for producing content at such uh, you know, a, a rapid pace? Um, well, I think part of it might just be inherent. I mean, I talk at a pretty rapid pace. I think at a pretty rapid pace. It might just be something genetically that I do everything quickly. Uh, you know, but I do think that uh, if somebody asked me, do I see myself more as a writer or an analyst? I would probably say more as a writer. I mean, I do analytical writing, but I think in the end, I mean, you know, there are things that I write that are not analytical that are just for fun. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I think I'm better at, you know, written conversation than I am at spoken conversation. Um, so I just, I do feel like my natural skills maybe lend more to a writer, but I have an analytical mind, which is why I've kind of ended up in this vein of writing. Um, but I think, you know, if my, if, some, if a major league team came to me and said, like, hey, you know, we'd like you to, you know, do consulting for us and tell us who to trade for, you know, how, whatever those uh, those positions entail, I do feel like maybe part of my skills would be lost because part of what I think that I'm somewhat gifted at is communicating ideas to uh, people who may or may not believe what I'm saying. So, like, you know, I've kind of tried to take on the role of something of a teacher at USS Mariner of, like, you know, rather than trying to say, I know something that you don't know, there's no reason that these people can't can't understand these same things that we understand. This doesn't need to be some kind of uh, elite crowd that knows and understands baseball and just needs to come down from the mount with wisdom every once in a while. I would much rather just teach everyone the fundamentals of critical analysis of the game and seeing things through the eyes of rational, logical uh, motives rather than, you know, baseball cliches. And so, you know, I think that that teaching gift would probably get lost a little bit, uh, in, in a front office where all you were doing is like recommending that we claim some scrub off waivers. Right. And when do, when does, uh, yeah, you, you're sort of here trumpeting the virtues of, of rational uh, thought and analysis. When does the game become irrational for you? You know, when do you sort of let that side out? Um, I don't know that it ever becomes irrational. I mean, I'm certainly emotionally invested in certain games. Uh, you know, I, I think I will forever hate David Justice uh, for what he did to the Mariners in 2001. And, uh, you know, I mean, there are times when, um, you know, I think I'm probably not the most rational person when it comes to Felix Hernandez, and I'm willing to admit that. I mean, I've been following the kids since he was 16. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm willing to admit that I'm not super objective when it comes to Felix. And so I try not to write too many objective pieces about him because I know that uh, I've got an emotional investment in his success. And so, you know, most of the writing I do about Felix is on USF Marin or not on Fangraphs. I'll let other people tackle Felix from an objective standpoint. So, um, it, you know, I think there, it is tough at times to separate the two. Um, and, you know, there are probably t- people who think that I'm not emotionally invested enough when I'm watching a game because I'm not always standing and cheering. And, you know, sometimes if a guy 
you know, America could hit a home run and my first reaction could be like, well, yeah, that was just a, your homer to fly ball ratios, you know, fluky high. That ball went two extra feet because of the wind or, you know, I have some rational reason for it rather than just standing and applauding. So it's definitely a, it's a balancing act where I, uh, I try to be a fan and I try to be an analyst and they, they don't always work hand in hand, but I do the best I can. Right. Okay. So you're still at, uh, USS Mariner. You, uh, have become, uh, you've sort of, uh, grown into a larger role at Fangraphs, and uh, in some ways have become the the face of the site. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, hopefully not your actual face. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. you're writing, um, and you know, you're doing stuff uh, with the journal. I guess, uh, what do you sort of see as your project right now? Is it is it sort of more of the same, or is there you know you know maybe in the role of teacher or just someone? Who has the benefit now of being able to, you know, mostly pay the bills through baseball writing? Do you sort of see yourself as someone who's trying to make the experience more pleasant for, you know, the readership um, of whichever site you're writing for? Yeah, I'm gonna think at this point, my um, my goal with uh, my job at Fangraphs would be to make the site as appealing to as many people as possible while still maintaining the integrity of. Um, what we believe. So we're not going to start just writing stuff just to appeal to a wide spring, you know, a wider audience. Um, but at the same time, I think there are probably people out there who were like me before I started reading Rob Nyer who are, um, would love this kind of information, but just don't have access to it at the moment. So, you know, I think we would really like to just offer people the opportunity to educate themselves and think about baseball in a way that maybe they haven't thought about it before. We don't want to force it down anyone's throats. I mean, there's obviously people in the comments who think we're crazy and all of our stuff is horrible, and that's fine. They can think whatever they want. We're not out to proselytize and convince the world that we're right about everything, but I, I would like to offer people the opportunity to, if they would like to learn about baseball in a way that maybe they haven't learned about it before, have the availability of information and have access to uh, metrics that might help them understand the game a little bit better and really just kind of get rid of um, unchosen ignorance. If people want to be ignorant, that's fine. They can be ignorant. I don't, it doesn't, no sweat off my back. But, it, you know, for people who want to really educate themselves and learn about the game, I would love for Fangraphs to be the site that could be available to anyone who wants it. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, uh, I, I sort of probably as like a landmark moment uh, was when, um, I guess Bill Simmons of ESPN sort of came out and announced that uh, he was uh, drinking the figurative Kool-Aid at this point. Uh, I mean, are those the sort of breakthroughs that um, you think can help? Let's see, help someone who's a baseball fan, but not necessarily, you know, doesn't necessarily self-identify as a nerd. Uh, does that is that the sort of mark do you think that's just necessary to help bring more people to sabermetrics? Yeah, and I'm not necessarily so much that I want to bring people to sabermetrics as much as I want to give people a chance to um, maybe think about the game uh, rather than just accepting what they've heard on TV. And so, you know, one of the things that I think has been really exciting is, you know, we get emails almost every day now at this point saying, hey, you know, Fangraphs was mentioned on this broadcast, or they were just talking about this article you wrote on this broadcast, or, you know, they used O-swing percentage, or, you know, now all, we're seeing all these pitch effects velocity stuff getting worked into all the FSN broadcasts. And, I mean, there's just a lot better information being conveyed through the actual team broadcast, which I think is really one of the linchpins, because, you know, people are going to watch baseball, um, even if they're not out there searching for fan graphs or searching for wins above replacement or they have no interest in any of that. But there are a lot of these metrics that just, you know, you don't have to care about a formula or think that UZR is any good to understand that throwing first strikes is really a good thing. And, you know, so we carry first strike percentage on the site or swinging strike rate or just some of these things that are just obviously good 
useful information that hasn't been available before that could really be helpful in broadcasts. And so I've really enjoyed seeing some of the team broadcasts, uh, I think, use better information to, you know, educate the people watching and saying, hey, you know, maybe this guy uh, didn't hit a home run because he has more heart and character than that guy. He hit a home run because, you know, according to his pitch type linear weights, he's a really good curveball hitter and the, the pitcher just threw a really bad breaking ball in the middle of the plate. Yeah. Hey, well, Dave, uh, thank you so much for uh, for uh, talking about this and your sort of, uh, I guess, your arc through uh, through the world of baseball writing and also uh, some of your thoughts on on uh, you know what what's to come. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. It was uh, it was uh, fun and different. Yeah. All right. Well, that was Dave Cameron. Uh, I am and will continue to be Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.